Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Hello, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You show. Now, I know you're probably going to go, okay, so, Elizabeth, why do we not have a self-help author on? <laughs> a little bit of a departure. I get it. But one of the things that Best Ever You does is we help people build their brand, build their book. You know, we're not just all self-help. Um, we're self-help in a number of ways, and sometimes that can mean embracing other authors with what they're doing, um, embracing other communities um, like ours, collaborating. You know, I always say gratitude, compassion, and collaboration. And so here we go. We've got a great author with us. Um, I have read his book, The Body Outside the Kremlin. He is author James L. May. You can uh, look at his website also. Um, It's jameslmay.com. He's also on Goodreads. James, I did not find you on Twitter, though. Uh, Are you there? (laughs) Uh, No, 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 I'm not on Twitter. That's uh, that's. Well, I, I'm a, a little bit allergic to social media, which I know is a, is a, a terrible sin. But yeah, I don't. I don't have a Twitter account. So. We'll, we'll still love you. Um, you are on Twitter now. Um, I am not allergic to social media, and so um, we did tweet about you today. And and you'll love this. Um, being the the, I I know that your cat meows sometimes when you do things on air too. So um, my co-host is a cat. Um, it's Mel the Rescue Cat, and um, you'll be really happy to know that we have taken a picture with the cat and your book, and even a small video. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're the best ever meow on Twitter. I hope that's okay. Oh, no, that's like excellent. That. Yeah. If, yeah. Well, my, my cat is Magnet, so if she speaks up, I'll, I'll hold the phone down to her or something. Is your cat actually called Magnet? Oh, yeah, yeah that's her cat? name. Oh, that's a great name. So we're going to need a picture of your cat for our Best Ever Meow Instagram. Would that be okay? Oh, I yeah, really of course, like of course. She'll be, she'll be delighted. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think, you know, for some reason cats help books. I have no idea why, but whatever. Um, I love cats. I have three rescue cats, and one of them's feral. So, okay, enough about cats. Um, let's <laughs> talk about your book, maybe, <laughs> with 30 minutes. So The Body Outside the Kremlin, um, is this – is this your, how many books have you written? Oh, this is the first one. This is my uh, it's a novel and my debut novel. And I'm holding it right here. This has got a great look and feel to it. It's got a beautiful cover. Uh, how does it feel to um, you know be a writer? Oh well, it feels pretty <laughs> good. Uh, you know, it certainly it feels good to have the book published. I've been at, at work on it for for quite a while. I, I think it's gosh, from the moment I started writing, I think it took more than 10 years for it to, to appear in print. So it's been a, it's been a long road. So yeah, it's, it's nice to, uh, nice to get that published and, and start looking at some other stuff. Yeah. Tell us what are your books about? Well, this one is, uh, it's about, well, it's a, I should first say it's a, it's a murder mystery, uh, but it's also a historical novel. It's set in a, a early Soviet prison camp, uh, in the 1920s. 
which was you know shortly shortly after the communists took over in Russia, uh, the Bolshevik Party. Uh, and it's the camp is uh, in a place called the Solovetsky Islands, um, which are you know interesting for their own sake. It's, it's the first, or the camp is interesting for its own sake. It's it's the first in what would become uh, what was known as the Gulag prison system, uh, which was uh, it's it's a little bit less well known than um, some other of the sort of real terrible events of the 20th century in the United States. But uh, you know it was a very deadly and very um, you know, they imprisoned a lot of people uh, over the course of, of communist rule in Russia in the, in the gulag system. So Solovetsky is interesting because it was the first one of those. But it's also interesting because before it was a prison camp, for, you know, about 500 years before it was a prison camp, uh, it was a monastery. It was a Russian Orthodox monastery, um, probably the biggest one in the, in the Russian north. It, it's for, so Solovetsky is way up in the White Sea, almost on the Arctic Circle. Uh, in in northwest Russia, um, so yeah. So part of what made me interested in in writing about the place was that th- there's this very sort of strange uh, overlap of things of you know monastic culture and monastic sort of history, and then uh, prison culture and prison history. Uh, and, and that was you know in the sort of in the 20s in this new Soviet Union uh, that was or Soviet Russia as it was called then. Um, yeah, that that just seemed seemed fascinating to me. Awesome. You know, it dawned on me just now as you were talking that I could hear you out loud in my office, and I think I might have had a little bit of an audio glitch at the beginning of the show with having two audio sets plugged in. So I apologize if that's the case, if everybody just heard us loud and clear, if we were echoing or duplicating or anything like that. Um, We weren't while you were talking. We might have been while I was talking about cats, which was a conversation (laughs) about best ever you (laughs) and our new cat, best best ever meow on Instagram and Twitter and so forth, and we were talking about how Mel is my co-host, so if that didn't come out clear, um, it hopefully will now. Sorry about that. Um, I was talking on Zoom earlier to someone else, and the Zoom audio is different than the radio show audio, and I just realized I had both plugged in. So, And we don't edit this. We're live, so uh, we might have a little bit of a goof. So I'm going to just repeat myself slightly. We have James L. May. Um, it's James L. Period May, M-A-Y, who's the author of The Body Outside the Kremlin, his website is jameslmay.com. He's also on Goodreads and also on Amazon. And we were we started off the show talking about how we both um, loved cats. His cat's named Magnet. He's going to take a picture. I took a video. I put him on Instagram. Um, he doesn't love social media, so you're not going to find him on Twitter. But he is on Twitter now because we just put him there. Does that catch us up, James? <laughs> Sorry that, that about sounded, that. That sounded great, yes. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> In case I have to cut out the first part of that show, we'll, we'll uh, go with that. Anyway, um, okay, so this is this has got – Historical fiction is not easy to write, uh, I don't think. I don't know. I'm, my, my dad did a lot of that um, kind of research and, you know, research for writing and things like that. Was that a tricky part in um, oh. writing this? Yeah, it, well, it certainly was. I, I, think, I mean, I said, you know, I said I think it took 10 years to get from, from imagining this book to getting it published. And, and that the, the need for the research was, was a big part of that. Um, so, yeah, that I, I'm not... Um, well, I certainly know more than I did when I started writing the book, but I, I wasn't, and I'm not really a scholar of Russian history to start with. So, so I had a, I had a lot to learn, um, and so that meant you know I had to learn about you know the early Soviet Union generally. Um, and there, I mean, there, and there's interesting stuff. Uh, there's a, a great book uh, by uh, a scholar named um, uh, Sheila Fitzpatrick 
called Everyday Stalinism, which is sort of just about what you know what life was like under early Russian communism in the in the 20s and 30s. So it's things like um, you know what was it like to eat at the big new state-run cafeterias, and what was it like to get an apartment. And, you know, how did kids go on dates and how did kids get involved in youth organizations and all of that stuff? You know, so much of so much of our sort of history of the Soviet Union is about, you know, big events or sort of horrors or World War Two or the Russian Civil War. And so it's really I certainly found it terribly useful to to learn some of those uh, just kind of daily life things. Um, so that's, that, that was general Russian history. And, of course, there's a lot to learn about uh, – I, I mentioned the book is set on the Salvetsky Islands. There's a lot to learn about those places, too. Uh, there's the monastic history, uh, and there's also just the history of, of the prison camp. Um, and I think the, for, you know, writer, for writerly purposes, probably the most useful sources I looked at about the camp were, um, were memoirs of prisoners who'd actually, who'd actually been interned there. Uh, there were quite a few that were written in in the 20s or, or 20s or 30s of people who were sort of trying to raise the alarm in the West. Uh, I should say written in English that were published in English that were um, trying to raise the alarm in the West about Bolshevik repression. Um, so people just, you know, describing it, it was, it, I, I mean, I've called it a prison camp uh, that, you know, that it's a labor camp. It, it was a very a deadly camp. You know, people died of disease and starvation there. It's a, it's not. Well, I mean, no, no prison is is a walk in the park. But this was a particularly harsh one. Um, so, so many of the there were uh, many memoirs written, sort of talking about those things and trying to warn people about those things. Uh, but, but the most useful memoir was one that was written much, much later in the late 90s by. Um, uh, a man named Dmitry Likachev, uh, who was interned in on Solovetsky in his 20s, and then went on to become one of Russia's, uh, really one of Russia's leading scholars. And in fact, at the very end of his life, he became a member of the Russian Duma, which was, you know, the parliament that was established after, uh, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Uh, so really a, a very well-respected uh, mm-hmm. Russian scholar and citizen. And what was so interesting about reading his memoir was that he had... Um, he really, I mean, he was, he, was, he was a scholarly type, of course. He was looking for sort of intellectual stimulation and education wherever he could find it. But he really did, somewhat oddly, he found it on Solovetsky. Um, you know, despite it being this, you know, terrible work camp where conditions were really bad, uh, he, he really was able to uh, find, he was, you know, he was young in his early 20s, but then he was able to find teachers and people to talk to about the things that he was interested in. Um, it's particularly, he was particularly interested in, Russian medieval literature, uh, and that, that was because they, Solovetsky, uh, many, many of the prisoners were members of what would have been called the Russian intelligentsia, or intelligentsia, I mean, that's, that's our adoption from Russian, um, mm-hmm. and, and because, you know, these were the people who were criticizing the new communist regime, they're the ones who were, you know, had ideas that the communists didn't like, and so they were disproportionately uh, sent, sent to Solovetsky. So, it's almost like at the times when they're not sort of struggling to to um, get enough to eat or to find, you know, to get out of terribly uh, burdensome work assignments, they almost have this sort of symposium atmosphere. And that, that was another of the things that really made Zalabetsky yeah. fascinating to me. What um, – tell me, back up to, like, you thinking of this as an idea and so forth um, to now, 
is this something that you've always had an interest in or uh, where did you get this, you know, idea from for, for this book? I know you've got um, various degrees from some, you know, a BA in English from Cornell is pretty amazing. Um, an MFA from Florida International University is, is hard to do as well. Are these things you thought of while you were in class and courses, something that you've always wanted to do? Um, well, it, yeah, I did actually think of it in, in a class I took with, um, one of my professors and a very a very fine writer uh, named Lynn Barrett. Uh, she she was teaching a class on on uh, mystery uh, stories at the same time, which I was taking uh, at the same time that I was reading um, reading a book about the Gulag, just just out of sort of general interest. Um, I, and I mean, I, you know, I like you know I like history, and part of the reason I like history is you sort of you know as a writer, you're often sort of looking for stories or, or things to you know things to write about. Um, so I was, I was sort of doing that to start with. Um, but uh, you, one of the things we talked about in Lynn's class in this course on mystery was, um, you know, the ways that a mystery story can be used to kind of explore a setting or a place, a time. Uh, and, yeah, so I really did. It, it felt sort of like serendipity coming upon Solovetsky because mm -hmm. I really, I, I almost immediately upon reading about it thought, oh, my God, I really want to read a mystery set here. It would be so cool to have, you know, a detective <laughs> The reason a mystery works so well is, you know, a detective is this character who gets to go around everywhere and ask questions and sort of figure out how things work in a in a given place and time, you know, setting. Uh, and, you know, so for that reason, they they are a good vehicle for telling, explaining to a reader, sort of like, oh, here's here's the deal about this place. So I really thought somehow that that just caught my imagination about Solovetsky. Uh And yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say that I've always aimed to write about Russia. Although I mean, it feels like always now. I've been working on it for so long, uh, but I, you know, I've always I've always really loved mystery stories. I mean, that's you know, almost my whole adult life I've been reading mysteries. So. Yeah, and um, I'm a I'm a fellow author with uh, not of with your uh, publisher, but I'm an author uh, with Hay House, and so I know the incredible process it is to think of something and and bring it to the point where it's in your hand, and then be even talking about it on the radio or whatever. There's a whole part of it that goes talk I, I think when we have authors on a lot of people want to know the process the process of of writing and so forth but one of my favorite things to talk about and um if it's not yours we can pass on this is the actual <laughs> marketing of the book <laughs> um, oh, sure. you know the actual yeah it's done and here now what because it's not like and and maybe your experience is different but you know do you have a red carpet outside your door and a private jet out front waiting to take you <laughs> everywhere or is it some work <laughs> Well, I do, you know, no, I don't. I, that, yeah, that was not uh, that was not part of the arrangement with the publisher, the red carpet and the jet. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, well, I, I think I mean, for for me, like like a lot of people who who sit down to write a book, you know, you know, the the pub, the marketing side of it, that that's not what you think of at first. You know, you you sort of spend all these months or years sort of alone talking to yourself in a way or talking to your audience on the page. Yeah. And then, yeah, then it's, it is very uh, a big adjustment to sort of come and try to, to talk to other people out loud about it, you know, yep. uh, but you know, of course, of course that is very, very important. I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, my, my, uh, my, my publisher is uh, Delphinium books and they, they have not provided a jet and a red carpet, but they've certainly, you know, they, they certainly know what they're doing. And so I've, exactly. I've been, um, you know, I've been learning from them and from from their publicist uh, a lot, and that 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 has certainly I've been I've been grateful for that. Very, I mean, quite grateful because it doesn't. Yeah. I wouldn't say it comes particularly naturally to me, uh, but 
yeah, you know, I mean, in terms of what we've been doing, you know, we're, we, the, we've been arranging interviews like this one. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you always hope for, for reviews and sort of pursue those. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've written myself a number of sort of guest blog posts and pieces in a couple of magazine-y things. Um, you know, so those, those, are, those are the things you, you generally do to I, – I mean, well, again, I'm speaking – these are the things I've done. I, perhaps there's more that could have been done, but I haven't. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't wise enough to figure that out. So. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things um, I celebrated myself when I had this happen, and that was a, a thumbs up, five star, whatever it is from Publishers Weekly. I mean, that mattered to me. I, it was a it was oh, a sure. goal of mine when I wrote my book. I'm like, please, Publishers Weekly, like this, and they did. I got some really good remarks, and. I love that on the front of your book at the top part is your publisher's weekly review, which is positive and um, yep. amazing. How great of a feeling was that? Were you just like, Phew, oh, thank you. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that was a big relief. I, I was certainly yep. – yeah, the, the reviews generally have been very good. I, the publisher's weekly particularly, I think we uh, – oh, I don't know. We were coming back from a movie with friends or something, and I, I got the email about it. So that was – I don't know. You know, we, that was a, a minor little celebration on the bus. Oh, I think. yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, no, it's been the <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, yeah, the other the reviews have, have generally been quite good. I, I mean, you know, not not. Uh, I think you you never get uniformly positive reviews. But even even the ones that had some negative things to say, I kind of thought, oh yeah, well, I see where you're coming from, and they weren't they weren't too damning. So yeah, I've, yeah. Been, I've been quite happy about that. Yeah. Now, um, sometimes you you uh, get your book and you look back and you go, oh, why did I write that that way? Is there anything or anything like that? And and I don't have that feeling about your book at all. But is there a sentence or a word in it that you would change looking back now, as it's been oh out my for a little bit? Or- <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is a cruel thing? question. I, I, <laughs> I know. I, you know, one of the to me one of the best things about having the book published is that I don't have to read it anymore and try to think, oh, do I want to change that or not? Because, yeah, I, 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 I mean, yeah, the short answer is, yeah, I'm sure there's something on almost every page that I, if I go back through, I'd like to change. But, uh, you know, that, that's, that's sort of just the nature of the thing. You know, I, I don't, you're, you're, I mean, at least for me, and I, I think this is true for many writers, you're, you're sort of never satisfied. You're, you're never positive that this is absolute 100% the best. Uh, you know, you just, you, you know, it's good enough and, now, now it's on the page and it's published, and you can't, you just can't change it anymore. And, yeah. and I think, you know, the, the truth is, like, uh, it's, I mean, it's something I've struggled with because part of what you're doing when you're writing a book is you are continually criticizing, you know, criticizing, hopefully not yourself, but criticizing what's on the page, uh, and you know, changing it, trying to make it as good as it can be. But at some point, your criticism does sort of change day to day. You know, I've certainly had the experience of changing something and really thinking, oh, this isn't working. I'm going to labor over it. You know, I'll spend days fixing a page or a, a scene or what have you. And then at the end, I've, okay, I think I've improved it. And if I look back at it three weeks later, I think, oh, God, no, the first the first version I had was, was much better. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's frustrating. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean – you know, you can never not, you can never sort of stop criticizing yourself or criticizing the work in that way or trying to improve the work. But at, but at some point, well, I don't know. You, I mean, you just get confident that it's good enough, and sometimes you just have to let it rest there. Perfect advice. Yeah, I, um, yeah. My um, my dad was like such a perfectionist, and I always used to think, oh man, just put it out there. 
And yeah. then you can, you know, because sometimes people who are perfectionists, even with editing and so forth, they never get their stuff out the door um, oh, yeah. because they're just caught in that loop. And so, yeah, I, I, I know what you mean, though, too, because we're all kind of like that. Um, so we have a question for you. Um, guys, I'm not going to pull the questions live on air, but I see that you're typing them to me on Twitter. So that's cool. Thank you for that. Um, I'm at best ever you. And um, so you can keep typing those in. And we're going to ask James um, some of your questions. Now, James, is that all right with you? Oh, sure. <laughs> you of ask questions. Yeah, okay. So, so you ha- we have a budding, a budding aspiring author out there who wants to know, what was your process of developing your characters? And twofold, could you pronounce some of their names? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I'll try. My my Russian, uh, I, I'm always embarrassed to say, is not actually the best. Uh, but I will. So uh, my um, the main character in my my book is Tolia, or that's short for Natalie uh, Bogomolov. Uh, and let's see, he works with an older uh, detective, also a prisoner. Both both of these detectives are prisoners, uh, named Yakov Petrovich. Uh, and um, one of and a really important character to me, probably the, my favorite character, is. Um, there's the the camp imprisoned both men and women, uh, and although the women there were fewer women and they were in many cases separated. Um, anyway, so the, but the the a female character in the in the book who's as I said my favorite is named uh, Veronica Fitnieva. Um, so th- those are a few. Um, yeah, and I think they are. You know, people do find the the Russian names a little bit daunting sometimes. Um, in, in some cases, I tried to choose Russian names that were a little bit uh, easier for, for um, you know, Americans to pronounce. Um, but that, <laughs> yeah. that, I guess the other thing your your listener asked was about uh, how I developed the characters. And so, yeah, I, I did not um, – I don't want people to think that ease of pronunciation was my main thing about developing the characters. Uh, it, it's That's a tough question. Um, I think – well, yeah, so that, that's, it's a really good question. Did you have charts on the wall or anything? You know, like, did you have each character separated out so that they, that you had, like, character, you know, I, I think about that. Like, I when I see novels, I'm like, how did they do that? Did they, like, put a big chart on the wall for each character and give them characteristics, and then they all have to stay in their lane all the time? Or what, oh, how did people yeah. do that? Well, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, so, particularly because this is a mystery, instead of, I, I definitely had charts on my wall, No, no question. Uh, but okay. most of those charts were actually about um, rather the plot rather than the characters. So about um, you know the details of the crime and what kind of clues it would leave behind, and then how those clues would be um, would be revealed. So you do at least I do. I, th- I think people who are real geniuses at writing mysteries they almost do it off the cuff. But if you're if you're a normal person, uh, you, you kind of <laughs> have to do it systematically. Um, yeah. Uh, and so it was interesting to me. To, so occasionally, you know, the, what I thought the characters uh, were going to be like had to change uh, based on what the plot needed them to do. Uh, so I, I did. I was aware of adjusting the characters in some ways. You know, I, ideally, I think you sort of want your characters to be organic and sort of come. You know, they come into being fully formed and they tell you what they're going to do. Uh, sometimes I had to sort of cheat that. You know, you make you have to. Different authors have different approaches to this, of course. Uh, Nabokov, I think, said something about like. You know, no, my characters are puppets. I have them do exactly what I want. And you know, I had to, I had to adopt that attitude occasionally to make the mystery work. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, you know, in terms of sort of figuring out who they were, uh, you know, some I think certainly the the main character Tolia is, um, you know, he's got some things in common with me. I suppose I hope they're not too too obvious. Um, <laughs> and 
Yeah. You know, from there, uh, at least the the characters that I most liked, I talked about Veronica Fitneva being my, my favorite character. She's sort of, um, well, she, she's not, she sort of occupies the femme fatale role. I, I, I'll give a little bit away and say it turns out she's not, not at all fatale. She's not, uh, she's not right. particularly murderous. But, um, you know, I, I think partly, you know, I was just sort of, I really liked her. I thought she was funny, and I was just trying to sort of understand her humor and understand her, um, you know, who she was. Uh, well, actually, one of the, even for that for that character, even more, I, you know, I had in one of the histories I read, I had read an account of um, camp camp romances, and uh, th- I mean, this is this is a true story, or at least attested. Um, a woman said that, oh, you know, here's the the way I met my the first man I was with in the camp is he wrote me a letter and said, let's be together. I'll take care of you. And she said, no, I'm not interested. You know, I don't, I'm not that kind of woman. Uh, and then he beat her up. He beat her up so badly that, uh, they had to send her to the hospital. And then once she was in the hospital, he used his connections in the camp to make sure that she had the very best care. And he came to visit her every day and, uh, you know, brought her flowers and that sort of thing. And then she said, oh, well, and eventually she, succumbed i mean it's you know it's not it's an assault it's not it's coercive and but then she yeah. said apparently apparently earnestly you know that was my first love she really felt like she was in love and that, that just seemed practically incomprehensible to me uh, i couldn't i couldn't get my mind around how she could have you know felt anything yeah. but anger or hatred <laughs> at that yeah. guy. Uh, and so yeah. I, so some of some of working out Veronica Fitneva was trying to figure out how a person could feel that way and sort of you know keep keep themselves not not be you know not be totally you know just uh you know obliterated or you know or kind of destroyed you know keep some pride keep some sense of yourself and yet and yet feel those things uh, and I'm not I'm not sure I really figured it out that, that I'm not sure that uh Veronica Fitneva uh is exactly. I mean, she's certainly not exactly the same person as, as I read about in in the history book, uh, but but she, yeah, she. I mean, she. I did feel like I. She does have problems along those lines, and and I felt yeah. it was interesting to me to sort of try to figure out, you know, how she could, yeah, how she could deal with that and and keep her, you know, keep her pride, yeah. keep her sense of self. It's interesting. I had an author on probably about a month ago now, and he said in some of his other books he actually fought with his characters. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, that's. I, I think. I mean, you can you can feel like they're they're recalcitrant. You know, they're not doing what you want. So. Yeah, he's like, he's like, and 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 in his case, he's like, so I killed him off or whatever. Oh know? no. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. I mean, that's a special danger for for characters in a mystery novel. You, if they make too much trouble, they're liable to uh, end up. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was the cutest thing, you know, because yeah, it's nice because you don't get to talk to authors that much and hear what they actually are thinking, you know, in their writing process and so forth. So I think all of us really appreciate that, you know, rather than the standard questions like, what's your book about? And, you know, right. how's it doing and stuff like that. It's more fun to kind of get to get to know you a little bit. Um, could you have done this? Like, back us up, like, to, I don't know, the land of typewriters. I don't know about you, but I, I'm 50, so I, I remember taking typing in high school. Could you have um, achieved this? Uh, uh, this is sort of a leading question, because I don't know if I could have. Uh, could you have achieved this in the land of typewriters? Oh, that's, that is, that's such an interesting question. Without I... autocorrect. Let's add a little component. <laughs> yeah, without autocorrect. <laughs> uh, well... 
it, uh. it's difficult. I, I've seen, you know, yeah, so I think I'm probably, I'm 37, so I think I'm probably the sort of leading edge of people who learned to write typing on computers. Um, and that it actually, I mean, I, I'm aware of it being a big part of my, of, of my writing process, you know, being able to move big chunks of text around uh, easily and being able to go back in and edit the sentence over and over and over without, you know, screwing up your typewritten page and so forth. Uh, so, it, and that, I, I will say that's not always, I don't think, good for my writing. I, you know, I do. I have a strong tendency to spend too much time fussing over a sentence instead of just moving on and fixing it later. Mm-hmm. And you know, the computer makes that so easy to do that I think that that exacerbates it a little bit. Um, that, that said, you know, I, I think I, writers have. Hmm? Do, you ever, do you ever do that? Do you ever have an idea and you're like, oh God, I got to write that down? And I mean, I write a lot of my, I have sticky notes and crayons and all sorts of stuff. I've written on napkins before. Oh, yeah, do, yeah. Do you carry around like a journal or a tape recorder or anything like that? So when you think yeah, of well, something, no, no, you've not got a tape it? recorder. Yeah, I try to either carry around a little, um, you know, a little notebook that fits in my back pocket okay. or, or failing that. I, I, well, I haven't done this in a while, but I used to just carry around an index card and a pen. And then, you know, that was, <laughs> you know, I rarely ever have thoughts that, go beyond index card length so i just write it on an index card um that uh yeah so i mean that stuff certainly just yeah just being able to get it down quickly and not you know not worry too much about it i think is i mean you know it's kind of a commonplace for for writing but that's that's so important uh, you know not yeah. you know being able to separate out your editing and your writing to to at least some degree um yeah, I, but you I know think... i mean people have been doing that people were able to do that um even even with typewriters, I think. For instance, I you know I talked. Speaking of index cards, I already mentioned Nabokov, but um, you know I mean he would write. He actually composed all of his novels on index cards, typewritten. I believe I can't remember if they're typed or handwritten. I think actually I think handwritten. I think he had his wife type yeah. up all his manuscripts. Uh, but then that, that was partly because he could then move the index cards around and do the, some of the reordering of things that we now do on uh, you know on computers. So so I think. I mean, I hope, <laughs> yeah, to answer your question about could I have done it on the typewriter, you know, I hope I could have found a way, but it definitely would have been, yeah. a, it would have been a challenge. Yeah. I've been thinking about, um, I want to teach, I don't know if this class exists, but I like totally want to teach this class and I'm not a teacher or a professor or anything like that, but I want to call it like, what would Charles Dickens do in the land of social media? Oh like my if gosh, Charles yeah. Dickens were on Twitter. What do you think he would write? Well, I know you're not on Twitter. Yeah, you kind of you kind of have to figure he would be a master of it, right? Because I mean, he was you know part of his know. genius was for self promotion. So I, I think he would. I kind of feel like he'd be good at it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I often about Dickens. I, I often wonder, you know, would Dickens be writing novels, or I, I almost feel certain that he'd be doing TV instead. You know, that the the kind of Death. serial cliffhanger stuff. <laughs> on Facebook Live. Like, I know you're yeah, going to do yeah. a video with me. I want to totally do a Facebook Live with you, maybe even instead of a Zoom. Because Zoom is like we get on there and we're video, but I tape it and throw, put it on YouTube. But Facebook is live. So people sure. like could join in on our conversation and stuff. And that might be way more fun um, to do. I don't know if you're up for it. Not right now or anything, but we'll schedule it if you want. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, no, but, I'd, I'd enjoy that. Uh, and but, I, yeah, it does seem like that's the kind of thing Dickens would have liked. <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. He's like my, I love his writing and stuff. And I just keep thinking, I wonder if he were, you know, if he was here, what would he be doing? I bet he'd be on Facebook live. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, he did, you know, he did so many lectures and whatnot. I mean, he was, yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's exactly what he would been, he'd be doing. He'd be like, this is great. And my, you know, <laughs> I think about my grandfather. I used to um, sit with my grandfather and listen to the twins on a, like a little handheld radio. 
Um, and he was like, you know, baseball's better heard on radios than, you know, probably watching on TV. The commentary is so awesome. Uh, I grew up oh, yeah. listening with my grandfather, just baseball, baseball, baseball. My grandfather would have loved podcasting. Oh, oh sure. my gosh. Because he always wanted to own a radio station um, and do all sorts of everything radio. He was an old radio broadcaster. He used to uh, broadcast uh, with Ronald Reagan like a long, oh, long time ago. Yeah. Super cool. Um, but it's so you, you have this stuff in about. your blood. This is... I don't know about that. You know, I try my <laughs> best, but I, you know, there's, there's bigger, better pros than I am. I just get a kick out of people and I love, I love, I'm just kind of fascinated with other people really. Um, so, so yeah. And cats a little bit, but <laughs> we'll talk about that. But uh, it sure is fun to have you here. Uh, is there, I know we're kind of running long on time, but is there anything I haven't asked you? I'm sure there are many things, but, um, anything you, more you'd like to tell us about your book? It's amazing. You know, I'm holding it right here, the body outside the Kremlin. Um, it's, it's got a, this, this, it's got a really neat cover to it. Did you have a hand in that or did they just say like, mm, here's your cover? Oh, well that, I mean, they, they certainly showed it to me and yeah, I, I, I love the cover. All, all I could do was say, oh, yeah. that's man. Great. Beautiful. I, I have. <laughs> I do not yeah. have the, the slightest uh, uh, skill or talent about designing that sort of thing. So, yeah, but I'm really – I'm delighted with how it came out. Um, yeah. Well, I think and, if – oh, go ahead. No, you you go for it. Well, you said – you asked – I think you asked if there's anything I should uh, – we should add. And I think the one thing I've been trying to um, to mention as much as I can is uh, the meaning of the word Kremlin uh, in the title. Okay. I, 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 I like the title, but I, there is always the fear that that's going to be a little bit um, – a little bit uh, misleading because I think I think most people in the U.S. we uh, know the word Kremlin from you know the Kremlin, the the seat of government in Russia, and uh, that of course that's true. But you know what a Kremlin Kremlin is not just a proper name in Russian; it's actually a, a general term, and it just means a, a citadel or a, an enclosed area within a city or a, or a settlement. So so the Kremlin is actually only a Kremlin, the same way that the White House is only a White House. So if people are, you know, looking at the title of the book and thinking that it's set in Moscow, it's not. The Kremlin in, uh, the Kremlin in my book is um, the enclosure in this monastery on, on these very remote islands. So I think that's the only, that, 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 pet, that bit of uh, sort of term definition is the only thing I, I really want to add uh, if, I, if I can. Did you have any other titles? in mind like was this named something else when you first started it i know my book percolate was called the abcs of life <laughs> and they were like no, oh yeah that's not going out the door with that title <laughs> yeah well i think i uh yeah oh, yeah i'm i'm really bad at, at titles uh it was I, I had a list of you know 50 titles none of them none of them <laughs> particularly good at one point it was called uh on solovetsky island and yeah. uh my, my editor said no that's that's anonymous no one has any idea what that means uh so I think the body out. He said the body outside the Kremlin, and I think that's a lot better. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, um, I love your website too. By the way, it's it's uh, it's just easy to use. I appreciate that. Okay. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Whoever did your website, thank you for that website. Oh no, so that, hot, that was me. I'm delighted that you liked was it. it? Uh, oh, yeah. good. Yeah, it's not all cluttery, and you know, all it's just you, and and it's easy to get it's easy to navigate where you need to go to just buy your book and learn a little bit about you. Um, I'm going to take a lesson in your website 
design. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad. That's I, that, so. I mean, I would, that was that was the goal. But also, I'm not yeah. I'm not particularly skilled at developing websites. So simple was really the best I could do. Yeah, uh, but lovely. I'm glad I'm glad you find it easy to use. Yeah, no, I I absolutely do because you know I think I've been saying this a lot lately. You know, whenever we're trying to do something creative, whether it's write a book or show people how to bake something on Instagram or you know whatever it is, people are always caught up in what's going to make this popular. And I call it like I've been calling it like throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. Oh sure, yeah. And um, <laughs> and you have none of that, and it's lovely because oh, we're all good. Well, trying thanks. to fit. Yeah, it is because it's it's not so over the top like buy me, buy me, buy me, and it's 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 really nice. It's almost like in the sea of all the things out there. It's so refreshing. It's just nice. So anyway. Oh, I'm um, glad, I'm glad that you said that. I mean, you know, of course, I do want my my single strand of spaghetti to stick, but uh, yeah, I, I, well, I yeah. Well, it did. That's my point. I mean, okay, I think good. it's that's great. Oh. That's, yeah, that's the whole point. This is awesome. I love your book and I love your website and, and very personable. Thank you for coming on here and, and being part of my my show. And um, more importantly, though, when we bring people like you on, our, this show is grassroots. We have we have several million downloads and so forth, and I'm appreciative of that. But it's not advertised, so it's all word of mouth. And um, yeah, and so it. What I love about that is when we have a guest like this on, our audience like embraces you, and um, in our best ever you community online and so forth, they'll they'll actually buy your book and stuff. So it's kind of fun oh, well, I, I'm, to I'm be delighted. here. Yeah. I, I hope they enjoy it. yeah, yeah, and and now they've got some insight into some of the things that you meant and a little bit more about you. And of course, you know, we threw you into our cat lover community too. So. Um, Magnet will will uh, we look forward to having that picture of Magnet. You could oh, if yeah, you want to take that with your book. One. Yeah, Magnet <laughs> and the book would be cool too. Or Magnet, you and the book, anything. We're we're happy. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll see. I'll see if, well, she has her own ideas, but I'll see if I can't pose her with the book. <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, thank you so much, James. I appreciate it. Best of luck. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, I know how hard it is, and I, I'm. This is a great book. It's, it's um, many. I hope it gets made into the movie that it should be too. I, I you can see oh. that all over it. So yeah. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you, and um, thank you all for listening so much to the Best Ever You Show. Um, visit jameslmay.com for more about him, his book, where to buy his book. He's on Goodreads, not on Twitter, is on Amazon, and, um, yep, is on Best Ever Meow on Instagram soon. <laughs> we love you. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Take care. Have a great day, and thanks for being here with us. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You.